Our text is Psalms 1, verses 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Say it, planted. Planted that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. What an incredible picture of two different types of people juxtapositioned for the purpose of comparison. They're placed alongside one another. And one is extraordinarily blessed. The other, like the chaff, the wind drives away. And this picture is given to us for the purpose of prompting within us certain strategic questions. Have you learned in the course of life that sometimes it's not always wise to state opinions? Sometimes to get your point across, it is a lot more intelligent to ask a strategic question. A lot of conflicts occur because everybody's trying to make their point when sometimes what you need to do is ask a question that makes the other person think. And it's amazing what happens because if your, your, your point is indeed founded in actual fact and is logical and reasonable to ask them a certain particular question will then in turn lead them to a certain conclusion. And that often makes your point for you. Amen. And that's what God does. Shows us these two categories of people and then in essence, is provoking within us the question that arises, which one do you want to be like? Psalms 92, 12, and 15, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Say planted again, planted. Amen. Have you noticed that God values commitment to his house. All of this stuff about, you know, I love God, but I'm not going to necessarily be committed to a particular group of people that are worshipers. I'm just a part of the body of Christ at large. Everything about God and what God chooses to do always occurs within the context of community. Always. You minister within the context of community. If it's just you and your family, how are you going to minister to anyone? Even witnessing takes place in the context of community. The worst way to witness in the world is to witness to somebody that's a total stranger. It's the single least effective. Ask anybody that does cold call sales. It's the least effective way. Within the context of community where there is relationship, Witnessing, witnessing is that much more powerful. And God said, when you're planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish. Where? In the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's look at four words in these verses that leave no doubt as to what God is going to cause to happen in our lives. Verse 14 says, they shall bear fruit. I need you to say, they shall bear. Now make it in the first person. I will bear fruit. That's God's promise to you. Amen. It goes on to say they will even bear fruit in old age, but what that means is they will continue to bear fruit 
throughout the course of their life, even beyond what is normally considered the productive or the fruitful years of your life. And you're going to bear fruit as long as you live. Father, I pray that you will open your word to us today and help us to receive the seed of your word, for that's what we're going to talk about. And Lord, let your word be planted in our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to speak to you this morning from the subject, the potential in a seed. I'll talk about this again next week and I'll wrap this up. But the potential in a seed. In Salvbord, an island archipelago that is part of Norway and located in the Arctic Circle, Scientists have established the Doomsday Vault. Have you heard of it? I've been right up inside the Arctic Circle in Norway, just a few miles from this particular place. In fact, you could even see the distant islands from the shore where the little place that I was at. been there in ministry a number of occasions, in fact. The Doomsday Vault houses 865,000 samples of the seeds of the most important plants in the world. These are the ones that we use as food. And it is designed to keep these, these seeds safely in storage. Look at it like a Noah's Ark for seed. In the event of a major catastrophe, a major event that threatens life on this planet, what scientists call an extinction event, such as a nuclear war or a gigantic asteroid that hits the earth, they claim that probably most of life would be wiped out on this planet. And they say that the resulting dust cloud would block out sunlight literally for years to come, thus destroying all crops because crops require photosynthesis to be able to produce. And that in itself would place mankind, if man was able to find a place to hide, in danger of extinction due to starvation. With all of the food crops dying out, that man very likely could starve to death. These seeds have been stored in the Doomsday Vault, and they have been contributed to the Doomsday Vault by nearly all of the nations of the earth. And they will be used, the intention is, to use them to restart crop production around the world after an extinction event has occurred. Their intention is to save the human race by using this seed stored. And if any human being survive these events, they will need food to eat. And they don't really concern themselves so much with animal uh, life because they say man can actually make it without having meat to eat, as it were. And so they don't, they don't do this with cattle and they don't do this with sheep and other forms of of life that we would feed on, they say if they can just store enough seed, they can ensure that mankind can repopulate the earth again because he'll have something to eat. Their concern about the annihilation of life on this planet is actually a very legitimate concern. There have already been at least two extinction events that have occurred in the history of this planet. If you remember your lessons from uh, geography and history and science and there are a number of things that each one of those particular fields of study contribute but mainly science talks about it. There have been at least two major I extinction events. One occurred when something happened that literally caused the earth to flip over on its side and change its axis. And what was the north and south pole became the equator and what was the equator became the North and South Pole. Now this is not speculative on their part, and they are able to drill into the core of the earth, and they have found that the mineral deposits in the earth are literally layered. One way the polarity runs to the positive, and the next layer, that's 
layer runs in the same direction, but now to the negative. And the way that this occurred is something, they say, happened that caused the earth to flip. Rather, that was the impact of a meteor that caused the earth to flip over on its side or what it might have been. They're not really certain about that. But they have found what they believe to be evidence that corroborates this. For example, woolly mammoths, giant woolly mammoths. You've seen them with a curved tusk. They have found entire whole woolly mammoths in Siberia encased in glacier ice standing with green grass in their stomach where they were eating and digesting their food one minute and the next minute they're frozen while they're still standing upright. Something happened to reverse the poles. They were in a tropical climate and then something happened to change that or a near tropical climate. And they, there are a number of them that they found, not just one or two. As to how this correlates to the biblical account in Genesis, I personally support or believe that true science and an accurate understanding of the Bible are consistent with one another. You don't hear that in schools or universities a lot these days. And they're basically ridiculing the Word of God and asking you to embrace science, but I believe that true science actually complements a good understanding of the Bible, an accurate understanding of the Bible. Now, there is no error in the Word of God. Our understanding may be an error, but there is no error within the Bible itself. And on the other hand, the word science means knowledge, and it comes from a word that means to cut or divide. In other words, to examine and to cut into pieces, dissect, look at, as it were, we would say under a microscope for the purpose of examination or study. And true science in examining and trying to learn about the world, I think, is not based upon some of the speculation that we're now hearing out there. That, in my mind, is pseudoscience. It's not real science at all. Amen. And real science will support the Bible. And do you know, I'm not the only one that believes that. There are many of the world's strongest and greatest intellectuals, such as Dr. John Lennox, holder of two PhDs and professor of advanced mathematics at Oxford University and one of the most brilliant scientists in the world. They believe the Bible is correct. They're born-again believers. Many of them are, particularly in the field of quantum science or quantum physics. You get in that field, and there are many of them that are believers, and someday I'll get into a discussion as to why. But Dr. John Lennox proposes that each creative day, and many scholars believe this, was not a 24-hour day at all, but it was an extended eon. A day is unto the Lord as a thousand years. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And it's not talking about a 24-hour period in either one of those. And in some cases, for example, uh, the uh, millennial kingdom of, of the Lord is called the day of the Lord. And that's a thousand years. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that the day, each creative day lasts a thousand years. It's an indeterminate period of time. And some professors, of, like Dr. John Lennox, some scientists believe that it's possible each creative day actually ended in one of these extinction events or near extinction event. And that's where the dinosaurs went and things like that were wiped out. And then there was left over, as it were, as a seed of uh, things that existed up until that point and the earth was repopulated again. And it's interesting in the book of Genesis that God tells Adam and Eve to go and replenish the earth. And when you study the Word of God, it's, it, it's amazing. On the sixth day, God creates man, whatever that sixth day was comprised of. And if you disagree with this, you're entitled to your opinion. But I think we've got to do something with the fossil record. I mean, it's out there, and there are Tyrannosaurus skeletons they've pulled out of the ground. Amen. You've got to do something with it, baby. Amen. 
And then you throw into all of that, Satan was thrown and cast out of heaven and fell to the earth. And that could have been an extinction event for the life that had been created. Up to that point, man had not yet been created. And so what has happened is there remains a remnant. And that's always God's plan. He allows a remnant to remain and, and then that repopulates as it were. He's always had a remnant. The scripture says that. Amen. God has a remnant, whether it's the nation of Israel or it's the church. There's never been a time that God's been without a people. Amen. I wish I could hear somebody say amen. There have been, as I said a while ago, at least two extinction events. And the first I've described to you is when the earth flipped over on its axis. And I said maybe more than two. But the second was a spiritual extinction event. And it differs from a natural extinction event and that the first extinction event wiped out much of what was living at that time. The spiritual extinction event wiped out all spiritual life. You see, you don't have a soul. You actually are a soul that has a body. When God created Adam and Eve and breathed into his nostrils, man became a living soul. You have a spirit that is inside of an earth suit that you call a body. But whenever the fall occurred, the spiritual life inside of man became extinct. It died in sin. Man died spiritually, and that's what we call the fall, that event wiped out life, spiritual life, on this planet. But I want to tell you, just like science has a doomsday vault on an island in distant Norway, I want you to understand that God has a doomsday vault also, and he established it to restart spiritual life on this planet. Amen. And... Sometimes I think the church has forgotten this, and if I can be allowed to digress for just a, a few moments, it will help me make my point, and I'll get to where I'm going. Changing perspectives. Let me just take this little side road for a minute and create, as it were, a matrix for you to look at things. Changing perspectives to gain new insight. Making mid-course corrections, shifting paradigms to better accommodate present realities. Developing new and cutting-edge strategies that enable us to be more effective and productive are always good leadership practices, regardless of the field in which we may be presently engaged. It never works for people to say, I'm going to keep on doing it the same way we've always done it, because nothing stays the same. Look at the changing of technology. Everything changes from fashion styles. You, come on. Our understanding of science. A watch on your wrist is not the same kind. Your granddaddy wore. You hear what I'm saying? Amen. You travel differently than your grandparents. And everything about life is different. When I was a kid growing up, we had three TV stations that were black and white in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And now you've got satellite dishes and you can pull down stuff you don't need to pull down. Amen. And it's out there. It's just a different day and age. And you have to accommodate present realities. I've always laughed because some churches have preached against certain styles of music. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then I look at some of the styles of music they used to preach against when I was a kid. And so help me, that's what I hear on elevators now. It's so tame, it's become elevator music. Some churches still don't know what's going on. Some ministries haven't figured it out. However, as much as it is necessary and is, as compelling as it is that we stay abreast, of current realities. When we look at God's purposes and plans for his kingdom, which would include the church and all mankind, and whether those purposes and plans relate to ministry, a particular assembly, a nation, or each of us as individuals, there are certain fundamental presuppositions or understandings that must never change. Never change. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Some things you don't forget. 
Amen. You can't. These defining, unchanging principles are what keep us pointed in the right direction. Whether we're a church, a ministry, an individual pursuing destiny, and they prevent us from straying if we embrace them. Forgotten or overlooked, we find ourselves without a clear sense of purpose. Anybody in this room ever got sidetracked? Everybody, anybody here ever take a side road, detoured, something happened, you lost your sense of direction, your purpose was somehow or another thwarted, you found yourself over here in something that was peripheral, that never really mattered all that much to the main thesis of, of your existence or your life, happens to every single one of us. Uh, our focus becomes blurred. We get sidetracked by matters that, that seem at the moment insignificant but lose their meaning if our focus is not clear. As believers, what I'm driving at, and as a church, and as an individual, we must always keep in mind why we believe and preach and teach what we believe, preach, and teach. It isn't enough to just teach it what we do ceases to be relevant if we forget why we're doing it. Oh, come on, help me now. Just going through the motions because that's the way they've always done it isn't what's going to help you. You've got to know what's the driving force behind why you're doing it. And it's like the old story about the young couple that got married and the bride is fixing her husband his first meal and she's baking a ham and she cuts the end of it off and goes to throw it away. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm throwing the end of the ham away. And he said, well, why are you doing that? And she said, because my mama always did it. That's not good to eat. You, you can't eat this part. He said, well, what makes you think that? He said, she said, I'm telling you, my mama's cooked many a ham and I've watched her and she always cut the end off and threw it away. And he said, that's not what you're supposed to do. And they got into an argument. She said, I'll prove it and picked up the phone and called her mama. And I've told you the story, but it's been a long time. And she got her mama on the phone and said, mama, my husband and I are having an argument. I'm cooking a ham. And I cut the end of it off to throw it away. And he's telling me I'm not doing the right thing. And that's what I've always seen you do. Here, mama, tell him. And she, the mama started laughing and said, honey, the reason I cut the end off, I said, I didn't have a pot big enough to put the thing in. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, it ceases to have meaning and relevance. Could somebody say amen? And rather it's a Sunday school class or building a choir or rather it's the ushers ministry or the greeters ministry, our missions program, or our preaching and our teaching, we must always remember there is a reason all of this is being done. And on Sunday morning, you're casting a vote too. And that's why it's important that you be in the house of God. Because you're voting for the significance of what we're trying to accomplish. Amen. And what is it? that we're trying to accomplish. It is all based on this one thesis, and that is originally man was created in God's image and likeness. But we lost it. Man lost his God image and likeness in the extinction event that occurred that we call the fall. And we took on the image of the fallen one, and we stopped looking like our heavenly father. Our assignment as a church, whether you're a teacher in a Sunday school class, children's ministry, hostess, greeter, choir member, worship leader, preacher, whatever you do, our assignment is to help mankind find his God image again and look like God. Amen. The works of the flesh that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 and other places are a reference to the characteristics of the enemy that's at work in our life. And essentially what happened was, let me just get real with you, how would you like it if some, well, I'm going to just say it not in reference to your wife in general, amen, 
but she had a baby and you went to the nursery window, press your face against it, and lo and behold, it doesn't look like you at all. It looks like her ex-boyfriend. We got a problem, Houston. Amen. And there needs to be some serious consideration as to how we're going to fix this if we're going to move forward. God pressed his face against the nursery window and man didn't look like God anymore. It looked like the devil. Hello, I'm talking to you right now. And that's why Jesus confronted the bigotry and self-righteousness of religious leaders in his day and said to them in John 8, 45, you are of your father, the devil. Amen. You don't look like your heavenly father. You've lost your God image. You've taken on the image of the wicked one. Amen. And when we talk about the image of God, you've got to remember we're talking about the, the Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is God. And how do we take on His image? If you want to know how you take on the image of God, we are given the fruits of the Spirit for one reason. The fruit of the Spirit is God enabling us to recapture His image and likeness in our lives. Because God doesn't look like us physically. He's a spirit. It doesn't have flesh or bones. The Bible tells us that. What we're talking about is the divine nature of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is God giving you His divine nature that you can recapture the image of God once again and look like Him in this world. Oh, somebody in the building, listen to me right now. As I have mentioned in this series, fruit is not just to look good or to provide food. Rather, it is the delivery mechanism for the propagation or the reproduction of a species. And the reason is it contains something called seed. And that seed is what causes new life. Spiritually, the seed is the Word of God. The fruit of the Spirit within us is God's doomsday vault designed to restart, kickstart human life again after the extinction event of the fall and reshape the image of Christ within us after we took on the image of the fallen one. Amen. Because the fruit contains the seed of God. Why is it important, stay with me, that we recapture the image of God that man lost in the fall? It's because without it, we're just ordinary men and women. Are you hearing me? Our strength is limited to what we possess as fallen humanity. And without the image of God, we do not have the power of God. And so the fruit of the Spirit within us helps us recapture the image of God and becomes the divine enablement that is supposed to distinguish between the life of a believer and someone that is not a believer. Back to the verses that I read to begin. And we see juxtaposition, the life of a believer alongside the life of someone that's not a believer. One is bearing what? Come on, help me. One was bearing what? Even into their old age, say it, they will bear fruit. Say, I will bear fruit into their old age. And the others, not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. And so what you have here is a situation where Christianity has been presented, I think, from only one perspective for so long that we've forgotten the other aspects of Christianity that are more relevant to where we live right now. Everybody always talks about get saved so you can go to heaven when you die. Well, what about get saved so I can be who I'm supposed to be right now? Amen. So that I can maximize my potential. Notice what Paul says to the Corinthian believers who had become divided and carnal. One of Apollos, one of Paul, one of Cephas, and so forth. Who They had stepped out of the realm into the flesh. And this is what the enemy always seeks to do. God knows that if you divide, you can conquer. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's why this nation is divided more right now, I think, than it's ever been in my lifetime. 
And that's not a pretty picture. Amen. It isn't. And if you think mankind can fix it, you're wrong. We need the empowerment of God. And Paul writes to this church that is divided because the mathematical signs of the enemy are what? Subtraction and division. Mathematical signs of God are what? Addition and multiplication. God wants to add to your life. Multiply favor and blessings in your life. Satan's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Take from you. Divide from you what belongs to you. Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3, Paul asked them this question. I've mentioned it before. Are you not carnal and walk as men? Or as the New King James Version says, referring back to the original Greek, aren't you walking like mere men? And you get the impression that Paul is flabbergasted. That these Corinthian believers, having been empowered with the Holy Spirit, would now be willing to voluntarily be self-reduced back to a level of inefficiency and ineffectiveness that he describes as being just mere men. Look at what the word is in the Greek where it says walk as men. The Greek word is peripateo, and it means to make one's way or progress, to make due use of opportunities, to regulate one's life, Conduct oneself. Now let me rephrase that verse. Understanding this is the Greek word Paul was using. What Paul is saying is, you guys at Corinth. He's saying you have, cho he's saying you have chosen to make your way rather than God make your way for you. You've chosen to make use of your opportunities, regulate your life, and conduct yourself all with a very limited strength that you possess as a mere mortal human being. And that isn't what God wanted. What did God want? Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now let's look at that word because the word power there is the Greek word dunamis, and this is what it means, strength. Power, ability, inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of, oh, God have mercy, its nature. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Or which a person or thing exerts and put forth. The second definition is, for dunamis, it's power for performing miracles. The third is power or moral power and excellence of soul. Hmm. The fourth is the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. The fifth is power and resources arising from numbers. And the sixth is power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. You can look that up in Strong's Concordance. Now let me tell you what Jesus was saying using this word and its definitions. Jesus said, you shall receive the strength, the power for performing miracles. Amen. By virtue of a change in your nature, the power and influence of wealth, the power and resources of numbers, you will receive the power of angelic armies working in your lives. And what Paul is literally asking is, which one do you want? You want to be limited and ordinary, or do you want the supernatural empowerment of God to be present in your life? Amen. Amen. And here's why this is so important. The image of God, this is why we must recapture the image of God. The image of God is what his character looks like. Since he doesn't have flesh and bones, what we talk about, when we talk about what God looks like, we're talking about his character. Amen. God's character is the product of the mind or the thoughts of God. Hold it now. In other words, as he thinks in his heart, so is he, just like we are who and what our thoughts consist of, and our character is the product of our thoughts. So is God's character determined by his thoughts. If he thought any differently, he would not be the God he is. Oh, I, I, I'm preaching, and I don't even need your amen. I'm in it so deep right now. Oh, God have mercy. 
If he didn't have mercy, he wouldn't be a merciful God. If he didn't have grace, he would not be the God of grace. Hallelujah. If he was not forgiving, but all of these are the thoughts that God has. I know my thoughts that I have thought toward you, says the Lord. His character flows out of the way he thinks. And that's why the Word of God is so important in our lives. Because our character flows out of what we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you're entertaining anger, you have character flaws that are anger-related. And if you are thinking immoral thoughts, you're going to deal with character issues that have to do with morality. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But great is thy faithfulness, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And God gives us his word that he can change the way we think. And this is why Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Oh, somebody in the building, listen to what I'm saying. When we reprogram our thoughts we begin to think like him, it begins to mold his character in us. How do you get the character of God? Start thinking like God thinks. And his character will grow in you. How are you going to think the way he thinks when you're bombarded by television constantly, 35 plus hours for the average American in the course of a week? And God knows, I hope that's not true with a single person in this building. Amen. You got all this stuff flying across the, the airwaves and coming at you from the media, and you're getting riled up and angry, and things are, you're being exposed to stuff that you become so desensitized to now, it doesn't even bother you anymore. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? And there, you know what makes the visual medium so impacting is because you think in terms of thought pictures. You don't think in the terms of abstract words. We don't. We think in terms of thought pictures. If you think of a certain person that's a member of your family, you see that person in your mind. You don't think of their name. My name is Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D. You think of me, you, you think of pastor. You see me. You don't think of R-I-C-H-A-R-D. That's not what you think. You think in terms of thought pictures. And here's where this is so powerful. The medium of, of television and other things like that, and exposure to a constant display of ungodliness around us around us bypasses our filter and speaks directly to our heart and it programs our heart and we get all this stuff coming in and this is why God's word is so important which is why you can't just read the Bible once in a while you need to wake up in the morning with a hunger for the word of God and you need to have a hunger for the word of God during the day and you need to have a hunger for the word of God at night and you see I used to be bored to tears by the Bible seriously I've told you before if I wanted to go to sleep and I had if I had insomnia and I needed to go to sleep. I got my Bible out and turned over to those passages in Chronicles. So and so begat so and so. I was gone in no time. Bible fall asleep on my, uh, fall on my chest when I fell asleep. Amen. The Bible used to be the most boring book in the world. I dare not even keep one by my bed. Because if I keep the Bible by my bed and I think of a scripture and I, and I, I, I turn on my nightlight and I, I pick up my Bible and I flip to it, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Because it's, it's, like, it's, it's like heroin in my veins. I mean, I, I get high. I get, I get to reading. I get addicted. I get something gets turned on inside of me. And I don't want to. Uh, hours can go by. I love the Word of God. And you know what you need to reprogram your character? You need to get the junk out and stop thinking the way the world programs you to think and begin to think the way God thinks. Amen. Why is that vital? Amen. Why is the Word of God so important in our lives when we reprogram our thoughts to think like Him? It molds His character in us. And now are you ready? If we have His image or His character in us, we can also have His power. You can't have his power if you don't look like him. 
If you don't have his character, he won't trust you with his power. If you will notice, the fruit of the Spirit has to do with character, and it is largely based upon our thoughts, whether it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, even self-control is the result of, of, of making sure your thought life doesn't get out of alignment with the teachings of the Word of God. All of these things have to do with, with your, your thoughts, and this, in turn, you will notice that, that the fruit of the Spirit has to do with your emotions. Why? Because your thoughts immediately impact and produce an effect in your emotions. You see, your emotions are not contingent upon circumstances. We've been taught that. A person that has joy is not the same thing as someone that has happiness. Because happiness comes from the old English word happily or happenstance or haply. It means it's dependent upon what's happening. You can have joy no matter what's going on in your life. And that's why happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is why peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Why is peace important? Because peace is not contingent upon circumstances either. It, peace does not mean the absence of conflict. It does not mean the absence of a storm. Jesus had peace and went to sleep in the bow of the boat in the middle of a storm. And when you look at Psalms 91, for example... He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is what? My refuge and my fortress. Wait a minute, honey. You don't need a fortress unless there's an attack going on. You hear what I'm talking about. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean everything's going well. It just means you're at a higher place because you're not thinking like those around you. You're thinking like God right now. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Amen. Amen. Watch what I'm saying now because it really does work this way. I fly into Amsterdam constantly en route to wherever I'm going in the missions, ministry, work, whether it's India, Africa, wherever it may be. But KLM always passes through Amsterdam. And when I fly into Amsterdam and they're making the approach at the runway, there are all these, these canals in, in Holland. It's a, a country built with canals. And, and much of it is because the, the land was reclaimed from the sea. For example, Schiphol Airport is actually located at a place that was once ocean. And the reason it's called Schiphol is that means place of ships. There's actually sunken ships there buried underneath it. They reclaimed the land, pumped the water out, brought land in. But it has all these canals. You know why they put those canals throughout Holland? It's because they put them there to stop invading armies. And you will fly in and you'll see these castles that are there surrounded by moats of water. Seriously, I see it nearly every time I fly in. And that water is there and that is to keep the invading forces from getting into the castle. And that's where everybody gathered from the countryside when the area was under attack. And I've always wondered why the, the enemy just didn't bypass the castle and keep on going, you know. And and uh, everybody's hiding in the castle. Why even bother? Just go take everything. And but for some reason or other, they felt they had to fight. I just never have really figured out why that. But they'd go and they'd, they'd kill each other at these castles. I say, just let them have the castle. We'll take everything else. Amen. But they didn't think like that. And, and so they had these castles, and people would resort into them. They were forts. They were fortresses. Our nation, you probably have traveled and seen some of them like I have here. Fort Stockton in our state was actually named after one of the, the cavalry forts that was placed out there. Here is what I'm trying to communicate to you, that you can have peace. You don't need a fortress unless there's a possibility of attack or an actual attack going on. But you don't need to let your emotions and your thoughts be tied to what's happening in your life. There is a higher source. Amen. Notice what he said. Not only shall I say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, a thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, yet it will not come nigh me or near my dwelling. What does that mean, baby? They're falling all around me, but I'm not shaken because I'm stayed on God. I've got peace on the inside. 
Amen. When you think the thoughts of God, it produces the heart of God within you, the character of God. Amen. And when you have God's character, he will trust you with his power. And that is one reason that churches have become so powerless. We have lost the ability to identify with God. We've lost his God image. Our actions are the result of the product of our thoughts. Just like God's acts are the result of the product of his thoughts. When you think like God, are you ready? You will act like God. And that is the very essence. If you want to know what faith is, it's thinking like God because that in turn produces the acts of God in your life. Amen. And you can't produce the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. You hear what I'm saying? you got to have a seed in here that begins to grow. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. Amen. You can try all you want, but you can't manufacture it by yourself. When you're walking through a terrible diagnosis, the only way you can stay focused on God is hear what his word said, I shall live and not die and declare the works of God. And you know when you better get all that programming done? Before you get the bad diagnosis. And that's why you need the house of God in your life. And this is why you flourish when you're planted in the house of God. Amen. And what do most of us do? We wait until the situation comes, and then we're going about trying to get things fixed. You can't allow your emotions to be sidetracked. The, the fruit of the Spirit are literally the emotions of the Spirit. And so some people, a little thing happens like chicken little. piece of the tile roof falls and hits them on the head. Ah! Sky's falling! Sky's falling! Sky's falling! No, it's just a little piece of the roof hit you on the head is all it was. But for them, the world has come to an end. Amen. Their joy is gone. Their peace is gone. Their love and suffering is gone. Hello, somebody. And all you got to do is get in Houston traffic and find out how much fruit of the Spirit some of us believers said. Testing mic. One, two, three. That come across. God's wanting to form His character in us. Amen. And the way He does it is he plants his word in our heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I don't want to lose the God image. I want to walk in his power. I don't want to be one of those Paul identified as walking in the limitations of mere men. When I walk in, I want to walk in with God inside of me showing up. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And so that is to say joy is the result of thinking a certain way. It is. So is gentleness. So is peace. So is long-suffering. So is patience and on and on. Our actions are the result of the product of our thoughts. And just in the same manner, God's acts are the result of the products of his thoughts. What does God think? Somebody tell me what God thinks. Anybody know what God's thinking right now? He's thinking His Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word, God and His Word are indivisible. And this is why God gives you the Bible. And this is why God says, come to the house of God. And this is why you hear preaching. Because you can program yourself to rise above the level of just being a mere man or a woman. You can recapture the image of God in your life. And live once again through the enablement of his Holy Spirit within you. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. You can't just force yourself, I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have joy. I, I, if it kills me, I'm going to have joy. You can't make it happen 
It is the product of what God's Word has placed in you. Amen. And this is why Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, One sows, one waters, but it is God who gives the increase. And what's the increase? Fruit. Only God can give fruit. Amen. Fruit refers to what is produced. And so God has a doomsday vault. He's trying to reprogram back into our lives that are barren because we took on the image of our fallen father. He's trying to put back in us the seed of the word of God that will grow into his image and likeness in our life. And that seed contains potential. And next week I want to talk to you about potential. Amen. You say, how do I do that? You've got to receive the word. And I look at Mary, that little girl that became the mother of Jesus Christ. An angel appeared and said, Hail Mary. You're highly favored. Blessed art thou among women. And then he went on to say that the Holy Spirit himself will overshadow you. And you will bring forth a child, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. The question is, when did Mary become pregnant? Think. You say, is there an exact moment? Yeah, there is. You know when I believe it was? When she said, be it unto me, as you have said, I receive the seed. And conception doesn't occur in anything until the seed is received. You ought to be in the house of God saying, give me the seed, Lord, of your word. Give me the word because every, here's what you need to know and I'm about to let you go. Every promise that God has given you contains the DNA for its own fulfillment. All you got to do is receive it. It is already genetically equipped. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to produce it. All you have to do is accept the seed and it will begin to produce what it is programmed to produce. Your responsibility is to accept it. And I closed because I remember a tree that was growing one time when I was a kid. And we were climbing up the side of, I think it was Pikes Peak maybe, or Mount Estes, one of those in Colorado. We were on a family vacation. And as we wound our way up that mountain, there was a huge boulder the size of this platform. And it had been split into two pieces. And growing right out of the middle of it was a tree. That boulder used to be one rock with a little crevice across the top and one day a bird flew over and dropped a seed into that little crevice and then the winds and the storms would come and dust would blow and covered that little seed up and though that seed may have sat there a long time when it finally got enough soil on top and it rained, guess what happened? That little seed germinated and something came up and broke that rock right in two. And that's what's happening when you get enough word in your heart. It's breaking something open in your life. I need somebody to say the word's going to give me a breakthrough. Tell somebody the word's going to give me a breakthrough. You know what we want? We want God to show up or send an angel and give us a breakthrough. All they do is give you a word, but it's the word that's going to cause the breakthrough in your life.